Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Dr. Bill Webster. Dr. Bill is the founder and executive director of the Center for the Grief Journey. Widowed in 1983, Bill struggled to come to terms with his own loss as well as the task of bringing up his two sons, who were nine and seven when their mother died. After graduating from the University of Toronto with his doctorate in 1990, Bill began facilitating grief support programs in numerous communities. Dr. Bill also conducts many professional seminars and educational programs on the topics of grief and loss both in North America and in Britain, and has authored numerous books and articles on the subject of grief. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bill. I have to tell you that when I was doing some research for episodes to launch our podcast, I ran across your profile. Now, I'm a writer, but I had never heard the word thanatologist. And actually, it sounded like an answer for Jeopardy. So what is a thanatologist, Bill, and what brought you to this field? Well, thank you, uh, Kathy and Stephanie. It's a delight to be with you and to share with you. A thanatologist. Well, uh, it sounds a little more uh, sophisticated than it really is. The Greek word thanatos means death. So thanatology is the study of death and death and dying and grief counseling. So as a thanatologist, what I do is I educate people on death and dying and grief and the, and the, uh, and the aftermath of, of having a loss and so on. So that's really what it's all about. Okay, well, that certainly makes sense. And uh, now I'm delighted to add a new word to my vocabulary, and our listeners can as well. So thanks for sharing that. I'm sure that many people, if not most, they've heard of the five stages of grief model that suggests that when you go through grief, it's a series of five emotions or steps, if you will. And the normal ones we see are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Those were introduced by a psychiatrist, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in her 1969 book on death and dying, and actually was inspired by her work with terminally ill patients. Is this still a valid model for today? Can we expect that when we suffer a loss that we are going to go through these five steps and then we're done? Sadly, it's not quite that simple. Now, let me say you, you've, you've very accurately described Kubler-Ross's work, uh, 1969. It was a pioneer work, pioneer book. It, nothing happens in a vacuum. There are other people working in the same area. But that was really what popularized it and brought it to uh, the attention of people. And you're absolutely right. She wrote it for people who were dying. And I think part of the genius of it was that people also then began to see it could apply to grieving people. And, and you're right, you know, there are these, these words that are used, the stages or the phases of grief, denial, where someone, you know, imagines a false or preferable reality, this can't be happening and so on. And then when that 
doesn't work. Anger becomes a protest and frustration and is often taken out on other people. And then bargaining, negotiating in the hope that maybe somehow we can avoid the cause of the grief. Maybe somehow we can change it, whether that's praying to God or what could I have done and so on. Depression then, when the person becomes saddened uh, by the certainty and the unavoidability of the situation. And then Kubler-Ross makes this magic leap suddenly to acceptance, where individuals embrace their mortality and accept an inevitable future. Well, it's a great theory, and it's very helpful in helping us understand what people can go through. But here's the bottom line. There are no nice, neat, orderly steps through the grief process. In fact, Kubler-Ross herself, 25 years after she wrote the book, actually said that grief was never meant to be put into nice, neat packages because it's, it's, it's messy. So yes, people still use the five stages, but we've moved on from that to a different, a different kind of a concept. Uh, and I think you're going to mention a couple of these as well. So I'll, I'll continue on after you've asked the next question. Okay. Well, thanks for that explanation. It certainly does help a lot. And I know what confused me uh, when I was having a, a personal experience after my husband died. Um, it seemed to me that I accepted it first. And then I thought, well, wait, these aren't the five stages. So, you know, I got a little confused about it. But um, I, I like what you're saying. So let's move on. After Kubler-Ross, there was another concept by William Worden. He mentioned four stages of grief. Uh, the first was accept the reality of the loss, experience the pain of grief, adjust to an environment with the deceased missing, and four, find an enduring connection with the deceased while embarking on a new life. Now, I have to admit, personally for me, this feels more like my experience. So do you feel that these apply? Are they more applicable? Kathy, I'm going to love con conversing with you. This because you're making such good points. <laughs> Let me just go right back to what you said, because you, you said that at first you felt acceptance. I think what happens at first, people experience numbness and shock because it's unbelievable. But um, Warden actually, Warden didn't talk about phases. He talked about tasks. And I like his tasks of mourning because it makes grief to be more active. And so, yeah, we do have to work through a process. But once again, it's not four tasks. <laughs> because even with the phases of grief, people realize that, you know, we, we go back and forth between loss and reality. And that's why in 1999, another author came up with what was called the dual process model. And that model goes back and forward, that one day we're grieving and the next day we're moving on with life and the next day we're back to grieving and back and forth. And the key word in that uh, theory is oscillating, going back and forth. So one day is a bad day, the next day is a good day and another bad day and another good day. And, and, and that roller coaster uh, effect. But actually, while without in any way seeming to be critical of Kubler-Ross, she was a pioneer. I think she deserves much credit. But we have kind of moved on from these stages theories. In fact, we've moved on from thinking of grief as a linear process, a time frame. Because I get asked that a lot as a grief counselor. How long does grief last? 
Well, you know, my first answer is it always lasts longer than people who haven't been through it seem to think. But the other answer is that there is no time frame because grief comes and goes. And so it's not a linear thing. It's not a three months this and six months that and a year the next thing. It, 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 it comes and goes. Grief changes our lives. And so some of the more modern theories are really coming up with this idea of, of uh, really not accepting it. We, we can't accept it, but we have to come to terms with it. We have to reconcile it. And so we, we, we really are, are challenged with developing a new relationship with the person who died. I mean, I, I lost my wife in 1983. That's what brought me to this work. Because I didn't understand what was happening. I thought I was going crazy and losing my mind. I later found out that I was experiencing grief once I understood it. And that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. And so I think that, that, that often I haven't forgotten my wife, even though she's been gone 35 years. I don't want to forget my wife. I still have a relationship with her. But let me explain what I mean. It's no longer a, re a relationship of presence. It's a relationship of memory. In other words, she's no longer part of my present, but she'll always be a part of my past. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we continue the relationship with this, that spouse, that parent, that, that, that child, that person who was part of our lives, that continues on and we never get over it, but we get through it. So I think there's, there's some, there's some newer theories that I think better describe because I liked your words, Kathy. You said, you said, uh, you know, that wasn't how I experienced it. And that's the trouble with many of the theories, because there is no one neat, orderly way to describe grief. We all go through it in our own unique way. Grief turns out to be not so simple. You mentioned in one of our conversations the other day when we spoke, Dr. Bell, that uh, community, whether in person, by social media or other means, can sometimes be more beneficial than a standing appointment with a therapist or other provider. This is more up my alley. Can you elaborate on this? Well, I certainly can. Um, I, I remember a conversation. I didn't mean to imply uh, that, uh, that professional counseling uh, can't be helpful. But you see, here's, here's my theory. There are some situations in which professional counseling is not only important, but necessary. Right. People who have been traumatized, people who have post-traumatic stress well, people call it PTSD, but it's not a disorder. It's a reaction, post-traumatic stress reaction. And there are specific strategies that trained counselors can help people through. However, on the other hand, grief is not a sickness. It's not a disease. It's not a mental health disorder. And so I, I, I've struggled over the years to try to find a, a, a happy middle ground where we could say, yes, there are some people who need professional counseling. But the majority of people who are struggling with the grief, it feels like they're going crazy. It feels like a mental health disorder. But why do we treat it like a disease if it's a normal reaction to an unwelcome event? And so really the, the main focus of my work over the last 30, 35 years has been in developing community grief support programs. And I've actually developed a model of, of grief support that can be used in any local community by a facilitator or a, in a church or in a, in a hospice or whatever, um, that, that basically says that there's certain elements to a, a grief support program. First of all, it's understanding that this is normal because the reason people don't express their grief, 
You see, there's a difference between grief and mourning. Did you know there's the difference between grief and mourning? Grief is what we feel after a loss. So someone after a loss says, well, I feel like my heart is breaking. I feel like my world has been turned upside down. And then someone says, and how are you feeling? We say, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. Because we don't want to admit that we're maybe not doing as well as people would like us to be doing. So there's this dissonance between grief and mourning. We grieve because that's what we feel, but we don't express it. And once people understand that grief is a normal reaction to an unwelcome event, they come together in our community groups. They get some information, some education, if you like. And then they go, oh, I'm normal. I thought I was going crazy. (laughs) And then they start to share and they start to talk about it. And so while coming to a session with Dr. Bill Webster, that expert thanatologist, (laughs) is very important, (laughs) you're laughing, ladies, and I don't blame you, because the real power in the group is when people interact with each other, because it helps them to understand they're not alone. I'm not the only one going through this. I thought I was losing my mind and going crazy. And people were saying, come on, it's been three months. You ought to be over it by now. And suddenly I find, oh, what a relief. I'm okay. And I'm, and I'm going to be fine. It's hard. It's the most difficult thing I ever have to go through. But this is a normal reaction. So that's, that's really what I was, I was trying to say. Not to, not to in any way minimize professional counseling. In, in certain cases, it's very necessary. But for the majority of people, and, and let's face it, counseling can be expensive. And so our community support programs are offered at no cost to the participants. I found sponsorship and we're able to offer it as a service to people. And I'm very, very proud of the model that we've developed. That's wonderful that you're offering that to everyone. Where or how do we find our community? Uh, well, you look around. What is your community? I mean, uh, where, where do you live? Who are the people in your community? Where do you, where do you contact the grieving people? Can you, can you talk to a funeral home and say, hey, you know, uh, we would like to offer a service to, to the people that you have, because funeral directors do a wonderful job at the time of the funeral, but what about aftercare? What about after the loss? What about three months down the road? So, so your community is the people around you. You know, it's, 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 it's anywhere. And I think we, there's, a, there's a global community, but there's also a local community. And I think grief is best done in the local community with people who come together. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a bereavement group, right? You may have a great support network that can be your community. Uh, I personally have two wonderful daughters and a brother and sister-in-law and nieces that were my support network and continue to be my support network. They check me, um, you know, if I'm, Right. Not kind of as upbeat as normal or such. They always check to make sure I'm okay. That's that's a very important point. But and and you're very blessed, and I'm very happy for that. But there are many people who don't have these kinds of family connections, especially in this in this day and age of mobility. And you know, my my son lives on the other side of the country from me. So yeah, I I talked to him on the phone this morning. We Skype on the weekends, but. He's not going to come over and help me cut my grass or, <laughs> or comfort me when I'm grieving, you see. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a different kind of community. Uh, so, so bringing people together in a local community where they can join in and sit around and chat to each other, I think uh, it, it's what's sometimes what I call the fellowship of sufferings. 
Oh, I like that. That's a great phrase. Great community of, of people who've known a loss. Yeah. And, and, and a death and a bereavement. And you're absolutely right. I think support programs can be for, for divorce, support programs can be right. for people who are dying, for, for cancer, uh, families, and, and so on. I mean, there's, um, there's a very real need. So the model works in many different aspects, many different mm-hmm. areas of loss. Okay. All right. That's great. Obviously, one of the uh, reasons for us doing this podcast is to help people better understand what grief is. And you're doing a marvelous job of explaining that. But even all that knowledge about what grief is, that doesn't necessarily help us get through our grief. That's does right. it? Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, when, when we experience, for me, I can go to the store and if I see a bottle of hot sauce, I have an immediate memory of my husband because he right. loved hot sauce. Now, I have managed at this point, it'll make me smile. But I expect, and for me, there are other times, if I go to a military ceremony of any reason, I that is a huge trigger for me because he was so involved with veterans groups and was retired army. So again, we may have the knowledge, but what can we do to get through that? Well, you know what, Kathy, that's such a that's such an important and such a deep question. My wife died 35 years ago, and that's what got me into grief counseling, because I didn't feel like I got a lot of support. People didn't seem to understand what I was going through. And so I went back to the University of Toronto, did my doctorate, and and, and the rest is history. The last 30-odd years, it's been my career. And then two years ago, my son died in in an accident. And here was this grief counselor, this so-called expert thanatologist. And I knew all the theory, but it's one thing to know the theory. It's quite another thing to experience it. And so I think it's it's a blending. Now, I must say that the fact that I understood what I was going through helped me get through it. So it's a combination. It, it's a blending of information and empathy and support. And that really is, is where, uh, you know, we can bring people together and to and to actually share that. So. You're absolutely right. It's one thing to experience it. You were talking about the hot sauce and, you, and the military things. And I call these grief triggers because something triggers a memory. Something just brings it back. It's a photograph. It's um, uh, an article of clothing. It's what, what can trigger grief? Anything that reminds you of the person can trigger a grief attack. And Everything reminds you of the person, you know. So um, I think it's very important to understand. It ties in what we said earlier, that grief comes and goes. So you're sailing along, you're doing fine, I'm having a great day, and suddenly you're in the grocery store and there's the hot sauce. And all of a sudden you're missing them again. This is how it works. And this is why it's important to understand it so that when you understand it, you can validate it, you can legitimize it, and then you're able to experience it and know that you're okay. You're not going to fall apart. This isn't going to destroy me. This is actually helping me to heal. So uh, we like where this is going. Uh, you have said so many things that are so helpful, and I know it will help others as well. I love the idea of community, and that makes perfect sense. Grief is complicated. It's unique for every person. You mentioned before some things that are available through your program. So. What else would you like to tell our listeners? If they were to visit your website, what would they find? 
What you'd find on my website is everything I've done in the last 35 years. As you can see, I'm not getting any younger. And uh, I'm, I'm really working on my legacy now. And so when Steve died, I thought, well, I want to do something special in his memory that would be a tribute to him. So we've taken all of the videos that I've done over the years. We've taken articles. We've taken this. I used to do this, this uh, little thing called Ask Dr. Bill, one minute answering questions and so on. And we put everything into our brand new website. You can find it at www.griefjourney.com. And there you'll find all kinds of information uh, about various aspects of grief, various aspects about loss. There's things about the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent. I like to think it's a very comprehensive program. And it's specifically geared for the grieving person. It's not designed to be a professional resource, you know, of, of I'm taking a course in grief counseling. Here's, here's the, this is for grieving people. And I would welcome every single person. We also update it every week. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. If you wanted to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Bill Webster, I do something every day, mainly an inspirational thought or quote, and you can link directly onto there as well. We also have my books and my videos. What we've done is we've actually put that on uh, as downloads because, um, again, printing and mailing out and all this kind of stuff, we, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're downloading it. We just ask for a, it's a very nominal kind of a fee just to kind of cover our costs and, and all of these kinds of things. But you can you can download the books. So there's a vast array of information and so on. And each week we're going to be interactive and so on with with people. And so come on over. That's when I'm not in competition with with Kathy and her wonderful work. We're working together. And I've, as I said to her earlier, there's enough grief to go around. So I'm I'm delighted to be of assistance. Uh, to the podcast and and I and I know that if I can help by sharing the website with other people I would be absolutely delighted. Well, thanks Bill. Um I have been to your website I can't tell you how many times now because I've already lost count. And every time I go I find something different. Another article that speaks to me, another title. Um and as I understand it you have something very special coming out for Christmas oh. in the way of an article. Could you just mention that briefly before we continue? Absolutely. How could I forget, Kathy? <laughs> Thank you very much for the reminder. I told you I was getting older. <laughs> but uh, yes, actually, um, I think on, on or shortly after the 25th of November, we're going to have a special feature on the website at griefjourney.com on coping with Christmas. Now, this will consist of a 30-minute video that we made some years ago. Uh, with different people sharing about some of the things that they did. We're going to have uh, some articles on helping children cope with, uh, with Christmas and grief over Christmas and so on. But I've written a couple of articles because this has been a very difficult year for people. This pandemic has really taken a great toll on people. And not just the people who've lost someone to death. We've lost a lot of things as a result of this pandemic. And so I'm going to have um, two articles. Uh, one on uh, the gifts for a grieving Christmas and the other one on some ideas as to what we can do. I've, I've titled it a play on the song, but a bit of an, a different emphasis. I'll be home for Christmas because I think many of us will be. 
And I've got some very practical strategies about some of the things that we can do as families and reaching out on Zoom and some crazy ideas of stuff that we can do to just to make it as meaningful as we can, because that really is what it's all about. Oh, thanks. I'm glad I kind of prompted your memory to bring us that information. Um, I know I'll be checking it out, and I strongly encourage our listeners to. You won't regret it. Bill has a great way with words, and it's not only meaningful, but it's very, you feel like you're just sitting there and he's talking to you personally. It just touches you personally. Bill, we could talk to you for hours. In fact, I think already we probably have at various times here and there. So we want you to consider coming back. Would you do that for our listeners? I don't have to consider that, Kathy. It would be a privilege. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know before we wrap up? Well, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I hope some of this has been helpful. And uh, I, I'll be continuing to talk to Kathy. And if you want to uh, perhaps let Kathy know some of the questions you would like us to to approach on another program, I'd be absolutely delighted to do that too. Ah, thanks so much. I can't wait to have you come back again. It's so fascinating talking to you. So with that, I will say we're done for today. Uh, please check out his website and that information, all of his contact information will be listed on our website as I live in grief.com, as well as included in the episode notes for this podcast. So you could check either place, find out how to get in touch with Bill. And I strongly encourage you to do so. It will help you immensely. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together. 